Terrell from the team of Nebraska. Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio making his fortnightly appearance in the program. It's his fortnightly appearance. He's the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. It's Eric Longenhagen. Eric Longenhagen is the guest. And on this edition of the program, as he does every fortnight, Eric Longenhagen endeavors here to analyze all prospects of particular note. The Area Code Games. The Area Code Games are a premier showcase of prep baseball talent, featuring indeed some of the players who are likely to be selected in the first round of the 2017 Amateur Draft next June. Longenhagen was at these Area Code Games in California, providing for the benefit of the listener not only an update on the two prep prospects he mentioned in the last edition of the podcast, that's Hunter Green, right-handed pitcher Hunter Green, and outfielder Joe Adele, but also providing two more names of considerable interest. Two more names of considerable interest, which I will not reveal now, to maintain that level of considerable interest. Moving on, last week, August Fagerstrom wrote for the pages of Fangraphs.com a piece about Devin Travis and how to avoid being guilty of underrating Devin Travis, who's already produced more than two wins for the Toronto Blue Jays in limited action. Here I ask Longenhagen for a sort of prospect retrospective of Devin Travis, who was selected probably in the 13th round, seems like probably the 13th round, out of Florida State, and yet has performed admirably, as I say, as a major leaguer. Finally, it is with some amount of shame that I ask Eric Longenhagen about Tim Tebow and Tim Tebow's prospects as a ball player. Actually seems as though Tebow is training near Longenhagen in Arizona. It's possible that Eric will go see him sometime soon. If his agency is cool with me being there, like Beverly Hills Sports Council was for Lincecum's showcase thing, like I'll go. But uh, I don't anticipate being blown away. More startling revelations to follow, including that particular and startling revelation. What follows, as I say, uh, there is no sponsor's message. If there were, the sponsor would be SeatGeek or SeatGeek.com, which takes the work and also the hassle, both the work and the hassle out of the ticket buying experience, but there is no proper sponsor's message today. Instead, what we do is we move directly to the conversation. What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? Lead prospect analyst Eric Longenhagen. And when does it begin? Right now. But this electronic store was like the size. The only thing that prevented you from seeing the other end of the store was the curvature of the earth. <laughs> it was one of those places. And then there's. Well, this listen, sh- this is going to be an ongoing thing. I don't. I don't think the sound is perfect right now, but I think we'll also develop. Okay. I'm gonna. Sub, I'm gonna endorse a pop filter, and I'm gonna also endorse you get up on the mic. All right. Um. Yeah. I'm really. Yeah. Intimately close to it right now. Well, we'll see what happens. Maybe a little bit further away. Yeah. All right. Okay. <clears throat> I, listen, mm. here is how the program begins. Okay. Here's how the program begins. I ask you uh, where you've been uh, since we last spoke, right? Mm. And then you provide an answer. But uh, unlike other – unlike a radio program to which even, for example, I might be accustomed, this is not so much a segment – yeah, it's mm. not so much a segment as it is merely the way we start and then it decays slowly and organically 
into other conversation. But there is no mm-hmm. finite endpoint, or is there any sort of beginning of the next installment, which is also known as the rest of our conversation? Is that fair? Yes, I understand. Okay. <laughs> Very good. So let let us begin. Well, here's what I know about you and how you've spent some of your time recently is that you just got back yesterday, I believe, I guess from California, where the mm-hmm. Area Code games were being held. Yeah. Uh, I left last Friday. Games didn't start till Saturday. But I, I left on Friday with the idea to go up to Lancaster, north of L.A., the Astros affiliate there, to go see Yuli Goriel. And then en route found out that he was not going to play. Uh, and so rerouted down to Lake Elsinore and saw the Padres and Mariners Cal League affiliates and then drove that night from uh, Lake Elsinore to Long Beach where the area codes began at 8 the next morning. Okay. Now why uh, – let's see. Oh, yeah, sorry, where 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 were where were the area code games held? They're at Long Beach State. Long Beach at State. Blair Field. Home, home of the dirt bags. Mm-hmm. And um are they always there? Yes. Okay. What is the significance? Would you provide a brief synopsis, a brief summary sure. of what those area code games are and their and the implications of those games? Because I know the last time we spoke, we spoke about another Prep showcase. I believe the area mm-hmm. code games are a prep showcase. We spoke about another prep showcase, which was the one sponsored by Under Armour. Had I gotten was back there... from that yet, or was I on my way to that? You were back from it. Okay. Uh, you... So yeah. the area code games, it's there are eight rosters of high school prospects selected by the coaches of the teams who are also usually area scouts, uh, and they're regionally – Divided, so there's like a team from the southeast and the Pacific Northwest and the four corner states, and Southern California has its own team, which is always the best team. Um, and they play over you know five or six days at Long Beach State. The first two days, there's batting practice from like 8 a.m. until around noon, where everyone breaks for lunch for an hour, then you come back, and there's a bunch of games in the afternoon. And in the last several days, it's just games. Uh, so, you know, it's just a, a place to get a look at a lot of high-end high school talent for next year's draft at one time against other uh, elite or near-elite competition. And what is the what is the place of these games in the context of other prep showcases in terms of import or the uh, – what is this word? What is this word? Prestige. Is the word I mean? I think it's my favorite event. It's hard. It's hard to sit and scout uh, because you're there. Like if you're there and you're there the whole day, and there are a lot of scouts who are there all day, it's like you know a bunch of fourteen, fifteen hour days in a row where you're hustling in and out of the ballpark just to eat. Uh, and if you're like, if you're a writer that's there, like uh, if it was me or Chris Crawford was there, uh, Hudson Belinsky and Mike Lanana from Baseball America were there, Nathan Rohde was there from uh, Press Prep Baseball Report. Like if you're there and you're also writing about stuff betwixt and between all the games, like it is hard. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you get to see these guys constantly. It's not you know just one game like the PGL American game this upcoming weekend. Uh, and it's not uh, like there are four or five games going on. 
on some minor league backfield at the same time, like some of the other showcases you'll see here in Arizona or down in Florida, you get to sit and bear down on the guys for a game at a time, uh, but still over a long enough sample, because it's five or six days, that you get a really good feel for what these kids can do. And it's also at a time during the summer where it's right in the middle of the showcase stuff. There's already been some some things uh, and so guys that maybe were rusty coming off of a break between the spring and now have sort of shaken that off. Uh, maybe they're a little bit more developed, you know, at this point. So it, it's it's good. So this one, and then I'd say the the uh, World Wood Bat uh, tournament in Jupiter later this fall are the two where there's I think a lot of high quality evaluation can go on. And just as a reminder, where are we currently in the showcase season? I think we're kind of like smack in the middle of it, I'd say. Okay. This is, you know, like this, the summer jewel, and then we'll have PG All-American, and then at least as far as I'm concerned, like um, I'll shut down uh, amateur stuff for the rest of the summer until uh, that the world would bat games in the fall. Uh, okay. But uh, I'm still kicking around whether or not I'm going to go to that because uh, it is in Florida and it's just harder to get there. But it's a good opportunity to straddle – Amateur coverage in Jupiter with fall instructional league stuff in the rest of the state. Oh yeah, that's right. When does fall instructional league begin? Minor league season will end at the end of this month, and then we'll have a couple weeks for playoffs in the applicable leagues, and then I think there's a short break before like the second week in September when instructs will start. What do you What do you learn? Do you learn anything different from? You learn anything different from fall instructs than you do spring, or is it just? I mean, is it is it a different? Is it differently constructed? Uh, no, it's pretty similar. There are some. If an organization has obviously some guys get shut down because they've had they've played long seasons and they're just they're toast, you know, so they're done. But it's it's another way to get efficient looks at guys because you know you can go if you go to Rockies instructs on their backfield they have multiple fields and you can just oh the, you know. Javier Medina is pitching on this field and Forrest Wall is hitting on this field. So I'll straddle these two fields and get looks at both of them at one time. Uh, so that's good. And you get, if you have touch points from earlier in the season with those prospects, you can see how they've kind of developed and come along. If there's been any sort of mechanical tweakage that's gone on, that's, that's pretty valuable as well. It's just another good way to get efficient looks at, at guys. It just comes with more caveats than a mid-season look at an affiliate because guys have played the whole year. Uh, and, you know, it's it's instructional league, so it's, it's not necessarily an environment that's highly competitive. And it really is just glorified practice. You know, you don't need three outs to end a half inning in instructional league. If it's taking too long, coaches will just roll the inning. Uh, so, you know, there are little things that make it different and make it harder or less useful, but it's it's just a – it's it's dense. Allow, wait, allow me to ask a naive question. Hmm. Um, when, when teams are are playing an instructional league, are they? Is it just essentially like intra squad intra squad scrimmaging, or do, or do they play against other organizations' uh, squads? They'll usually play against other organizations, but last fall and I've heard this fall, the Cubs, for instance, aren't playing anybody else. They'll just have like a hundred plus kids in their own camp and play games against themselves. Instead of oh, and, and, and that must 
that sounds strange. That's a, that's a departure from the norm, mm-hmm. yeah? Yes. Is that met with, to, so far as you know, is that regarded as uh, strange or hostile? Or is it, uh, do other organizations seem just to accept it as uh, some, uh, an experiment essentially on behalf, you know, that, that that organization is conducting? It's not really a thing that I've asked about mm-hmm. how other teams feel about that sort of thing. I know from what from you know my... of it, does it seem hostile? No, I think, I don't think that the Cubs have been shutting scouts out of their camp. Right. Which in my opinion would be, strange if that's what they were doing but um but no it's okay you know uh, if i if i for me i know if i need to see the cubs guys that i can just go i know where they're going to be like all the time because it's just in mesa uh so you know for me it's okay uh but it's uh you know i I can see how i'd like to see them play other other organizations because i feel like um i don't feel like this no i faintly remember I recall through as if through I see as if through a glass darkly, Eric Longenhagen, a memory of um Kyla McDaniel reporting to me how the Red Sox scouted Eduardo Rodriguez. And and this might have been spring instructs, but I think it was during a or during maybe some competition between uh the Red Sox and in Baltimore during spring instructional league. And uh, maybe there were just some Red Sox scares guys there who were getting uh, everyone on film and they got Eduardo Rodriguez on film and were scouting him a little bit. And they saw that his velocity had spiked that again, I could be reporting that falsely, but I was wondering, but if, if that is true or even if it's not true, we can imagine something like it being true. We mm-hmm. can say that maybe the Cubs are concerned about having some of their their players, you know, I don't know, what ahead of Rule Five Draft or something like that, sure. um, scouted too closely, too well. Yeah, I think uh, I've learned enough about the way teams operate not to be surprised by paranoia anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'd buy anything that you told me a team was willing to do to hide their own guys. There was a, there's a scout here that was sitting on rookie ball in Arizona who theorized that a team was, had, had a pitcher down here that they liked, but shut him down, not because he was hurt, but just to sort of hide him from scouts and therefore trade discussion approaching the deadline, uh, and that he'd come out after the deadline and be pitching fine. Uh, I think that's, Turned out to be false. I don't think that guy's thrown since the deadline. He seems to be legitimately hurt. Uh, but yeah, it was like a there hypothesis is, though sounds like what's that? It was a hypothesis. Yes, but there is just the fact that thinking like that occurs. You know, that scout probably thought about that because it's happened before in some right. instances. So yeah, I mean, there's stuff like that that goes on, and I think that there's, uh, I don't think that sort of hypothesis for why the Cubs keep their instructs closed, essentially, uh, is, is incorrect. Last time we spoke, as I said before, you had just been to the Under Armour event in Chicago mm-hmm. at Wrigley Field, uh, a prep showcase, uh, featuring a lot of the best, uh, high school talent in, in the country. And I, 
I believe you mentioned two players there. I remember, I think I, I think I remember their names. Do I remember their positions? No. No, I don't. But I believe their names, correct me if I'm wrong, one of them was Hunter Green. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and another was, yeah. <laughs> and another was Adele, Adele. Jordan Adele. Or Jordan Joe. Adele. He seems to be, uh, seeking to go by Joe, J-O. Now it's what he was listed in in the area code program and it's what they announced him as all week. So, so Adele. Adele and Green. appeared. Yeah. They were both at the area code games you're confirming. Yes. Okay. Very and much. so you saw these, you saw them again. Oh yeah, they were there. You're really yeah. saying, you're really confirming. Yeah. Now why are you saying it like that? Because they, because they, look they, real they, good. That's they look real good. Yeah. Green is like, Green came out, he was the first pitcher that the Southern California team threw. And he was like up to 98 with movement and the sliders getting better. Just as the summer is going on, it's even showing uh, improvement. It's flashing plus. It's consistently average. He's locating it to his glove side now. He's still trying to get a feel for how to backdoor it. I think I counted five times he tried to throw like a little backdoor slider to left-handed hitters, and I think he succeeded twice. Uh, but like it's coming. It's all sort of uh, starting to show up, and he's going to be quite good. Uh, and, and Adele is just – I think Adele is the best – high school bat in this draft. I think I'm pretty confident already labeling him as such. I don't think it's particularly close right now. I don't think there's anybody else who's there are other hitters that are interesting. Sure. But, uh, he's just, he, he homered and he's, he's very good. So yeah, I mean, those, both of those guys were there too. There are also, you know, a couple hundred other guys, but, uh, but they continue to look good and, and look like the top of the class as far as, uh, arm and bat go respectively right now at least all right well i'm going to ask you for a couple of specific names in a second but when you were okay. mentioning green there you reminded me of a of a uh, problem upon which i was meditating uh, mm-hmm. recently and i was thinking about it in the context of brandon woodruff brandon woodruff is a right-handed prospect in the brewer system who is, um, I think had been known for the last couple of years, both for the quality of his arm, uh, but also perhaps the, uh, a bit of, uh, uh, difficulty with injury. He had, and also maybe producing numbers that did not seem to represent, uh, his physical tools, uh, the, the excellence of his physical tools. But he's putting it all together this year, and I think he's probably been, uh, one of the best pitchers in all the minor leagues. Uh, over the last month, say, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, despite the fact that dur- uh, during that time, uh, th- this is going to sound very trifling the way I'm saying it, but that same amount of time, like his his brother died in an ATV accident. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, he was forced to go to his his brother's funeral during that time. I think he was quite close to him. Is how I perceive it when I'm reading it. Obviously, uh, there's a lot more uh, depth to that sort of event in one's life than. An idiot like myself, uh, would, you know, is able to, uh, is able to characterize in a brief conversation like this. But, mm-hmm. whatever has been quite good is the point. And, uh, I happened to find, I was just, you know, watching his most recent start. And there was a, at one point, uh, his pitcher, or his catcher, Jacob Nottingham, um, 
set up a target on the outside corner of a plate and would have hit it exactly, right? Now, the issue of command is a difficult one. I think control tends to be a little bit easier, right? It, right. Control yeah. is maybe the thing you can just represent with walk rate, for example, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking, I was thinking if, if one were to come up with a, uh, a way of judging com- command in any one pitcher start, you might say it's informed. This is all very uh, sort of uh, uh, back of the envelope type thing, Eric. Uh, the one end you might say, did this pitcher, did he locate the ball uh, where he intended to, where, or you know where it seemed intended to, the best I could tell he intended to? And furthermore, did that did the pitch possess the same sort of shape and velocity as it he seemed, uh, you know, it seemed like he was attempting to impart upon it? Is that is that fair? Do you think? Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's all I need. I don't need you to say it's definitely right. I'm guessing you have more nuanced opinion of it. We can, and I'll ask you that in a moment. <clears throat> if you were, if that's just your your criteria, though, you say did he did he more or less throw the ball to to the target, and did he more or less uh, impart the the shape and velocity to it that he was attempting to? How, and then you say if you if the answer is yes to both those questions, then we say he exhibited command of of this of this pitch, right? Mm-hmm. Now, over a course of say a hundred pitches, what do you think? Like, how many times do you do you think that Clayton Kershaw, for example, who we can might give you know he, he's like an eighty everything. He's the best pitcher uh, who's alive right now. Mm-hmm. Um, he's injured, of course, but when he's pitching, he's the best pitcher alive. Uh, like, how many of the how many of his pitches? How many of an eighty grade pitchers pitches? Do you think you'd say yes? He hit. The target, more or less, and he in the pitch possessed the shape he wanted, more or less. Oh, yeah, it's a tough. I told you it's going to be a tough question. It was a yeah, introduction really by me. I led no, no, up no, to no, it. Okay. Long winded. You know, it's. I try to get to a a Diamondback game a month, specifically to get a feel for. This question, like this, like is to kind of re- cleanse your palate, cleanse yeah. your minor league palate. Well, yeah, but I've never sat and really tried to quantify it in any way. There, pro- there probably is, you know, when I was at Baseball Info Solutions, one of the things that we did when we were charting pitchers the day after their start was we would mark where the catcher sets up, and then the ultimate pitch location, which of course was easier to do because. You know, with pitch effects and stuff, you, unless there was an error on that particular pitch, which is when you would use your, just the human eye to estimate, uh, you know, we already knew what the pitch location was. Uh, but I want to say the guys, so actually I'd say that my experience there probably informs my answer to this question better than sitting behind the plate at a big league game once every few weeks. Um, so out of a hundred pitches, someone with eighty command or just like a really good big league pitcher. Well, whatever you want to do. I just I'm just looking for some for some benchmarks, I guess. Probably like two thirds of the time. Okay. And then when you miss, you either miss in a way that is not advantageous for the hitter, more frequently than not, or your okay, stuff yeah. your stuff is so good that it doesn't matter. Right. Or it gives you at least gives you more margin for error when you do miss. 
Which is and presumably so one of the reasons it's good to possess uh, great, excellent velocity. Mm-hmm. So two-thirds of the time. I say, yeah, and I'm sure that there there's probably someone who has an objective answer to this question somewhere who's screaming at their computer right now. <laughs> but uh I don't know it. And I would I would just say it's like, you know, oh man, I'm trying to think of some of the best pitching performances that I've ever charted and it's it's like four out of five, I'd say, that they just paint whatever, you know, at will. But mm-hmm. I'd say just in general, if you're if you're hitting your spot two thirds of the time, that that's uh, that's good, uh, good enough. Yeah, I was yeah I was just thinking about it like what because <clears throat> again, again command is is a really difficult thing unless you're going to look at every pitch because you need to know you need to know where the target is you know and and sometimes the pitcher is a little bit or the catcher is a little bit less clear about his target mm-hmm. uh, you know perhaps obscuring it for the purposes of you, you know. Uh, Essentially misleading the batter, right? Um, or anyone who's on base, for example. Mm-hmm. So it's yep, not always, sure. uh, uh, there's, a, there's no perfect way to do it, but, but obviously, Sometimes uh, the catchers are purposefully vague about location uh, to just encourage some sort of strike. Uh, they're not necessarily setting up right down the middle because that's where they want the pitch, but right. just because they don't want the pitcher to think too hard about where he has to throw it and just to throw it. Uh, so, well, wasn't There's that what that. Matt, I think that that I think came around with uh, I'm sure it's true of a lot of pitchers, but Matt Thornton, um, who I think is still in the league, but he had a couple of um, excellent years, Seattle, Chicago, maybe, and uh, yeah. I think that was it. He has he had he threw his fastball hard and with a lot of movement, mm-hmm. and uh, basically he got to a point where he wasn't trying to hit any spots. He just was vaguely uh, throwing to the to the middle of the plate. Um, because he didn't really have a lot of control of the ball once it left his hand. It, um, it, it just featured so much natural movement. I say the other thing is you might have command of a certain pitch to a certain location, but not to all the locations. Like I was talking about with Hunter Green. Where he, does he have command? Well, he, his fastball lives in the zone consistently. But like when I was talking about his slider... He can bury it away from righties consistently, but he can't throw it for strikes as consistently. So you're sort of melding those two things together into one grade, even though they're kind of two separate skills. I'm writing up Alex Reyes and Luke Weaver for, you know, just a short little thing like, hey, these guys are in the big leagues now. Here's, you know, all the stuff you need to know about them. And Reyes is one of those guys, too, who last year during Fall League showed an ability to locate his curveball in the zone. And now this year that's kind of gone away. Uh, so you, but he's, you know, he'll throw his fastball for strikes more regularly than he does his curveball. But both aspects sort of factor into the single command grade. And you just sort of need to read the report to see all the different shades of gray that factor into that the shades of grayus alex alex grayus is that what you're talking about mm-hmm. did you see yeah. some of the kids okay. names at the, at the area codes no are there some good ones yeah there's some good ones zebulon yeah. vermilion that's great uh-huh demand lafond <laughs> <laughs> That's good too. It's a good there French good name. Ones. 
I'm Were there uh, any as good as Gianfranco Wawo? No, that one's really good. Okay. The Marvel um, font was about as good as it got. No, that's that, that's very strong. I agree. The uh, <clears throat> Okay, so that issue can be – that's going to be something to which I pay more attention. And I invite anyone, um, which it might also be like inviting no one, uh, to con- to conjecture or actually to document it. You know, if you take a, just a boilerplate excellent Clayton Kershaw start and just see how many times he more or less hits the plate uh, or the glove, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of uh, exceptions to this. But it seems like it would be good. It also seems like it would be good uh, for being able to understand a uh, you know how a minor leaguer is developing. Do you know anything about Brandon Woodruff, or do you, is this uh, we're treading into territory with which you don't feel particularly uh, comfortable? A little bit. Uh, I don't think I'd be able to talk about him as you know with an encyclopedic level of knowledge like I would you know some other guys. But you know, as a Mississippi State righty who I think's been up to like ninety seven or ninety eight lately, and uh, you know. That's that's kind of the extent of what I know off the top of my oh, well, head. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, that's good. He's also been healthy and uh, he's producing excellent numbers, which is unusual for him uh, in the context of the rest of his professional career. Mm. So, yeah, having a great deal of success at Double A. <clears throat> uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. So let's so let's get back to the Area Code Games. That was a tangent as as the thing on which we found ourselves. Uh, the Area Code Games. We talked about Hunter Green. A, uh, a promising right-hander, it sounds like, from California. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And Joe Adele, some sort of... Kentucky. Batter. A Kentucky-based batter. Outfielder. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, I've, I asked you to give us, uh, to give me two names. Those are the two names that I had asked you to give me uh, when you were uh, from, had been to Chicago. Let's do two more names then so we can begin to at least develop some sort of uh, catalog here. Okay, well, I don't want to... You did give me Demond Lafond. I don't know if know. he's actually a particularly good ball player. He's interesting. But... No, he was like up to ninety-two. Uh, he pitched twice already. He's a Tommy John kid, and he threw. He's already thrown twice in just like the five days. Because you know these kids come out, they throw. Some of them throw three innings. Some just go one, and then they pitch again another. You know, with a day or two of rest because it's just an inning. Uh, and I think he's been up to ninety-two with like an above-average breaking ball. So he's he's kind of interesting. But the guys, I'm trying to, I don't want to mislead you here. I have, I want to make sure I pick two really good names. I mean, we could talk for probably two, three hours about all the guys I've seen. Okay, so here's, here's one. Nick Allen. Nick? Nick Allen. Now, give me some some biographical information. He's a shortstop from Francis Parker High School in San Diego, and this is the guy who I think is going to be the divisive prospect for this upcoming draft. Uh, because he's divisive only... in which way? Do you have a uh, a recent cop in terms of divisiveness? Like not in the same way, but like Kevin Newman was. Uh, how about Joe Panic Mold? The Joe Panic Mold. Sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. A Joe Panic was was he? Went to, he went to St. John's, the new St. John's University. Yes. And yeah. the Giants took him in the first round, and a certain population said, "Well, that's ridiculous." Including me. Uh, I don't know if I necessarily was that strong, but I was just like, "Eh, this is a second baseman with like five Pat raw." So, or maybe I didn't even think it was that. Yeah, it just wasn't a thing to get excited about. But yeah, I I, I was critical of that to that selection. Um, yeah, in any who else, case, uh, who else was it, like of that course, it turned you? out. 
Well, I've not been in this game for as long as you have. Uh, so I, I'm going to say Joe Panic. That was the okay. one I really remember. That's fine. Yeah, that, I think that's legitimate. But Kevin Newman, yes. Kevin Newman, I also yeah. stand. He was a shortstop perhaps at Arizona. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. polarizing. Uh, Keith and I really liked him. Keith really liked him. This is you know, That's, of course, uh, Keith Law of ESPN, which is where I used to write about the draft. Uh, and I think Keith had him number two on his board heading into that draft, like really high. Uh, some of the area guys here were comping him to like Hall of Famers or borderline Hall of Famers. Uh, but, um, so yeah, just like a divisive, divisive prospects is what I'm talking about. So Nick Allen is a shortstop from Francis Parker High School in the San Diego area. And he's, he's listed at 5'9", 157. And he's probably less than that. Um, and so because of that, I think that there are some scouts who will just, you know, be very hesitant to use a first round pick on a guy who's smaller than I am. And, but he's like crazy athletic, ridiculous. It's like a unique sort of brand of athleticism. And his hands defensively are incredible. And he's got like a plus plus arm. Like he's really good <laughs> defensively. Mm-hmm. But you know, kids this size, I, how, I don't even know how to project a kid this size hit wise. Cause he's just so small. And I know people are thinking in their heads, you know, Jose Altuve, but we've talked about this before. Jose Altuve is short, but he's not small. Nick Allen is small. Mm-hmm. So it's a particularly difficult conundrum. I like him. I'm in on the kid. I think he's really special defensively and that's enough for me. Uh, you know, especially we're talking about shortstops here. Levi Michael was a first round pick because people thought he could play a passable shortstop. So it was Devin Marrero. So I think Nick Allen's a first rounder. He certainly is for me at this point, but I think there's going to be a lot of discussion about whether or not that's a legitimate label for the kid. He's a tiny little guy. Yeah. He's a little itty bitty. He's a little bitty, but he's got the, well, how would you uh, compare him? To, I know this is dangerous, but this is all I have. Uh, mm. Where would he fit in relative to Brendan Ryan, for example, mm, who is you know who bad. lasted a long time, has has continued yeah. to, to last to this year, but is six uh, two, I, I should say. Yeah, um, I think that type of player is probably how I project Allen. Yeah, so I I, I understand that. I don't think that that's Way off base. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad we see. All right. So, so Nick Allen from San Diego. You're mm-hmm. saying uh, the defense is special. Yeah. The, um, and uh, he won't be an utter failure on offense. You think? And so, uh, reasonable first round pick, but uh, an opinion with which not everyone uh, is is likely to agree. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay, fair enough. Right, so, so that's the first name. name of the second installment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you, if you want to go pitcher, oh, uh, yeah. if you want to go pitcher, add some um, symmetry. Some All right, so exciting. Sam Carlson. Sam Carlson. Righty. Yeah, six six four one ninety right-handed pitcher from Burnsville, Minnesota. Okay, he's from Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, he, the kid is huge. He's just one of these big, blonde, uh, iron-jawed kids who looks like he was built in a lab. And he was listed as a 
pitcher on the roster exclusively as a pitcher. And a lot of these kids that play multiple positions, you know, it says right-handed pitcher slash outfielder, even for Adele, even though clearly he's an outfielder, even though he did pitch well when I saw him. But Well, pro- right. So probably for their high school teams, right? They're doing everything. Right. Yeah. Okay. Because they're the best kids on their team. So he was listed as a righty, and then he gets in the cage for BP on the first day, and he's just torching balls out to left. And at 6'4", 190 with broad shoulders like like a castle drawbridge type build, like just huge. Uh, you know, he's got like easy plus power projection for me. And I thought, well, this might be a mistake that he's listed just as a pitcher on the roster, certainly just as a pitcher. And then he came out to pitch. And keep in mind, this is a kid from Minnesota that we're talking about. He was – hold on. I have it right here. Let me find it. That's a cold-weather athlete is what you mean to yes. suggest. Yeah. Yes, that is exactly what I'm trying to suggest. And so he's not, he's, he's not getting – he's not playing a lot of winter ball. Presumably he's not playing a lot of winter ball. No. So – and there are some people who will say, oh, well, that means he's raw. And others will say, oh, well, that means he's fresh. So it's just sort of however you want right. to color it. Uh, but he was 89-91 uh, with – an average curveball, above average changeup, extension. The delivery is absolutely a starter's delivery, throws strikes, and was locating his off-speed stuff in places where he wanted to and looked pretty advanced for a high school kid, let alone one from Minnesota. And with that kind of body, I think, you know, you're talking about – it's like a future Noah Sundergaard type of build. He is just yeah. like a huge kid. <laughs> Uh, and so I, I think this, this is a kid who's going to be throwing like 94 plus consistently with, you know, maybe two plus pitches and, and throwing strikes. Like that's my dude, Sam Carlson. And I think some of the people who were talking, you know, I heard some scouts talking about him too, because there were a lot of the pitchers were throwing poorly, not velo wise, but I think we had 45, 48 walks total on the second day in four games and the games are only seven innings. So that's why, you know, when scouts are at the ballpark until 11 o'clock when they've been there since eight, because you guys collectively aren't throwing strikes, they're going to be pissed. So when, <laughs> when people were talking about Carlson because he threw a lot of strikes and like had a couple clean innings, you know, I heard guys saying that, you know, he's not a first rounder. I don't think this stuff is quite good enough yet. I, I take this kid in like the late first round sandwich round, no doubt. So that's the other name. And I mean, I could go through the whole Southern California roster and just be like, Javon Ward's really good. Garrett Mitchell's really good. Calvin Mitchell's really interesting. Like we could just go, you know, on yeah, and on and on about all these kids. We're not but doing here's that. This, you know, behemoth from Minnesota who I think is absolutely a name that I'm excited to see how things go next spring when he's a senior and hopefully it has added a little bit more velo. You, now, uh, he's from, you say he's from Minnesota. Yeah, and uh, so a, p- a pitcher from Minnesota, I would think, or a player of any sort from Minnesota, I would think, well, maybe he plays hockey, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Or he could play another sport too. He could play basketball. That's an indoor sport. That, that's not really the point. What it leads me to ask you, though, is from your, from what you know, uh, be it from, um, be it from the qualitative information you derive by way of observation, or if uh, if you've actually read reports to this effect, do we know anything about players? Who are who excel at two sports in high school or even college? Um, and in what the, ask that? 
Um, I have an outline sitting in my desk right here. It's in this drawer uh, that for like a series I want to write on two sport athletes and what it's like to be the athlete or the scout or the coach or the agent that is dealing with two like multi-sport high-level athletes. Uh, and it's been sitting there for like probably close to three years now because it is just, it keeps growing and growing and growing. It's hard. I'm inclined to just say, do whatever. If you're a kid in high school and you want to play a bunch of sports, you should, because you're a kid. Uh, I don't care what it means for your future at that sport. Just do what you want to do. You're 15, 16 years old. Um, every scout Every coach, every recruiter, literally all of them that I've ever asked this question to says, I'd rather have a kid who plays multiple sports and shows aptitude for multiple sports than a kid who is just focused strictly on one thing. I don't know that that's necessarily correct for success in baseball, but I'm inclined to agree with it. Uh, although I am biased because I just think it's fun when kids are successful in multiple sports. It just gives us other, you know, there are scouts who go see kids play basketball and football and, you know, go check them out that do the other stuff just because they're curious. But, um, I think that I'm biased and so don't trust my opinion on it, but I would agree with it that I'd rather see a kid playing three, four sports if he can and if he wants to than someone who's just you know, grinding at baseball. Uh, but you know, what if you find out? What if you find out he's like an excellent cellist? <laughs> what would that do? First of all, who plays cello is the first question you would ask, mm-hmm. right? Is that well, is it, another big kid, right? Cello is pretty big. How about viola? What if someone's playing viola? Doesn't that sort of reveal something? Maybe like, if you're not sure if their dexterity. Yeah, but but why isn't he playing violin? You know, he's literally playing Is the redheaded stepchild of the string section. Who plays? Who willingly goes out there and, and plays a violin? You really? I mean, maybe that's a team player. Yeah. Uh, Is he the first bit, violin? Is he the second seat of violin? These are important things. Would you rather be? Would you rather be second seat violin or first seat <laughs> viola? Right? Because yeah, because if you're know. if you're first seat vi- vi- viola. Viola. Right. I'm not even saying it right. Uh, if you first see Viola, you look, you kind of looking over, you'd be like, am I even, would I even be good enough to be second seat violin? That's what you're thinking. Right. Cause it's really, it's really it the, uh, the, the makeup that he's willing to, uh, keep playing the violin and be second seat because that's more important for the orchestra as a whole than, uh, you know, in deference to sitting in the first seat playing viola where he's more visible, but maybe not as important to the, to the way things sound. Yeah. You could most orchestras. And I say this with, uh, with just a, an encyclopedic knowledge of, uh, symphonic music. You could, uh, you could, you could kill all of the violists and you would not notice one <laughs> bit of difference. There's a, I have proof. I have proof that supports that. Mm, I don't disagree yeah, with I you. Okay. <clears throat> the uh well yeah, I don't know. So so you say generally speaking uh 
given the choice, two sports, one sport, or, you know, multi-sport, one sport, you, you'd like to see a kid, but you don't necessarily know if it's substantiated by, right. by fact. Yeah. And I think that there is, there is a point where focusing on one is, is probably the right thing to do. You know, like once you get drafted and you sign, I love seeing the kids who play college football and, and somehow continue playing sparse amounts of pro baseball. But I'm not sure that that's good for their development anymore. Like there is a point where, okay, it's time now to, to focus in on one. Yeah. But I don't know when that yeah. is. Yeah. Do you think it matters pitcher versus position player? Because of course pitchers, pitcher, you just seen them out there. Yep. The, 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 the line for pitcher between development and overuse is an, is a uh, nervy one, isn't it? Yes. I agree. And I think that's why I think we see more successful conversion guys go from catching or playing third base to pitching rather than the other way around because Developing a feel and the, the muscle memory that it takes to hit all sorts of different baseball pitches in all sorts of different parts of the strike zone is harder to do than just reaching back and throwing 95 and learning a cutter or something so you can pitch in the bullpen. So right. I think if you're an everyday player that being out there every day is probably more important than if you're a pitcher who, you know, you're just like, uh, throw real hard and that's fine. Right. Uh, you know, your ceiling might be limited. Sean, Sean Doolittle. The Sean Doolittle yeah. conversion. Doolittle, Kenley Jansen, uh, the, the Jason Mott, Ramon Morla, like there are guys varying degrees of success who mm-hmm. have at least become interesting once they've stopped pitching. Yeah. And that's why that, this team, Tim Tebow stuff, is hard to it's interesting and it's fun no matter how fatigued you are with the, you know with Tim Tebow because everyone's talking well he's going to play in the outfield or something but he hasn't played baseball in 10 years and you want him to hit all of a sudden you know he's entering or in or beyond his physical prime at this point he's, what is he's going to hit <laughs> like that doesn't seem realistic <laughs> to me I'll go see him. He's working out in Scottsdale. If, uh, I said it in the chat today. If his agency is like cool with me being there, like, uh, Beverly Hills Sports Council was for Lincecum's showcase thing, like, I'll go. But, uh, I don't anticipate being blown away. He, he would play outfield? Is that the idea? Well, he throws left handed, so it's first base or outfield, and that's it. So I'd assume that yeah, they right. try him in the outfield. Why wouldn't he, why wouldn't he pitch? Have you seen him quarterback? You think he's going to be able to throw strikes? Well, I don't know. It's a different. Uh, it's a whole different thing. It do you different. do you think? Do you think that the best? Do you think the best NFL quarterbacks could step in? Could you know with uh, you know due preparation could become reasonable major league pitchers? Like, as if there was some sort of alternate timeline where they were became pitchers instead of quarterbacks? Yeah, I sure. I don't know. Yeah, I'm. I like athletes. Most quarterbacks are good ones. I'll take them. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Fair. Mm. What was Jameis Winston? Was he a good pitcher? Yeah. Is that a person? Is Jameis mm-hmm. Winston a person? Yeah, at least partially. 
<laughs> was he? Uh, I don't know. Some of the stuff he that he's done is a little. He might be shy of of that, but no, yeah, he's true humanity. But yeah, but was he? What was he? Was he a pitcher at Florida State in addition to serving as quarterback there? Yeah, and he was just one of those guys who threw hard and you know tried to have a slider. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let me ask you. Let's see. You said you went to a Lake Elsinore game. Lake Lake Elsinore Bakersfield. Is that right? Yeah. Did you see? I'm just gonna. You could you could speak at however much length you want to. I'm gonna ask you about like three guys. Mm-hmm. Did you see Luis Urias? I did. And Middle infield prospect for the Padres, a darling of yeah. Chris Mitchell's Cato system, and what did like a 19 year old at high A right now? Yeah, he's good. Actually, uh, the I I've seen him before. I like him quite a bit. Uh, but the word is starting to get out that he, about how good he is, cause there was an agent there, uh, macking on him while I was there. Oh, uh, wait, does he not have any sort of agent? He probably does, but that doesn't stop them now, does it? That's uh, gross. <laughs> Do you think it's more or less despicable than, um, than uh, attempting to flirt in like a meaningful way with someone's spouse? Less despicable. Less despicable because yeah. it's all bidness. Does it have anything to do with it being all bidness? This is this is a scout. I hope he doesn't listen to this, but uh, it's true. This is a scout who two days before, when I saw him in the AZL, or not a scout, an agent. This is an agent who two days before, when I saw him in the AZL, was complaining about one of his players leaving for another agency. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know if it's possible that Lu, that uh, Louis Orius doesn't have an agent. I don't know for sure, but he probably does. Uh, but yeah, he was there chasing him or at least getting the feel for it. I don't know how, what his intentions were, but he was like, I came to see this guy. He's real good. I'm going to go down there and try to talk to him in the clubhouse. Like that's what was yeah. going on. And I get hey. it. Like he's, he's good. You know, he's, um, I don't think he can play shortstop. Maybe he'd be passable there in short little bursts, but it's more second base, third base for me. I don't care. It's, it's future plus hit for me. Um, there's like average raw, but, uh, he's, um, he's good. Makes yeah, a lot I of like contact. Him. Makes a lot of contact. Oh yeah. And you know, he's, he's, one of the, he's those guys that if you look at him, he's he's small. He's a small kid. He's got one of those big Josh Donaldson leg kicks. There's video. I posted video from that game on our YouTube page already. So people can go check it out. And he's got one of those big leg kicks, but it serves more as a timing mechanism than it does as a way to generate power, which is something that, uh, like a few years ago, even I would not have realized, uh, would have just been like, Oh, this kid's got a big leg kick. Cause he's trying to get whatever he can out of his swing and generate some power. Cause it's not there in the hands naturally, but no, it's just, it's a timing thing. And I think that's Josh Donaldson has talked about that too, is like, this is a thing that has helped my timing more than it has unlocked this beastly power. Of course, uh, timing. Yeah, timing could help power. You make yeah, it sure. more flush contact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Especially if your power. There was one of those P pops that you're trying to avoid. Uh, yeah. If your power is coming from, you know, in an exclusive part of your swing, if you you know can only pull. I'm trying to. I'm trying as hard as I can now to just say as many P words as possible. Uh, if you can only pull the ball. Uh, out past the part of the park, where the, <laughs> <laughs> then yeah, you have to have a good timing if you're going to have power. 
uh, and so that can help. But yeah, he's, I like Orias. I, Naylor, Javi Guerra, I saw him as well. He just looks like a mess. Not just mentally, he's the kid's a mess. Like he strikes out and he just hangs his head and sulks back to the dugout. Like I really feel bad for him right now. He's really miserable. Josh Naylor doesn't look very good at all. Josh um, Naylor was just traded from one team trade. to another. Yeah. I've never been, really been a fan of his. Let's say he was uh, traded from the Marlins. You want to say that? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. In the Cashner deal. I like. I prefer to call it the Paul Clemens deal. Oh, okay. Did, was Paul Clemens traded in that deal? No, <laughs> I don't think so. Do you know what deal it was not? It was not the Colin Ray deal. Right. It was not the Colin yeah. Day, Ray Luis Castillo deal. There is no Colin Ray deal at this point, or it was effectively undone, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Taxi <clears throat> backsies. Right. Uh, was right, Urias. Oh, I had another. I had another name here from Bakersfield, the ready. probably. From Bakersfield, probably. Eh, I don't know if I had anyone specific from Bakersfield. Maybe. Uh, I, I actually just do want to know. Do you do you have ten seconds of of uh, um, commentary on Gianfranco Wawo? No. Okay. Fair enough. Um, oh, Austin Wilson is on that team. Austin Wilson oh. was a hulking young man from Stanford, yeah. I believe. Yes, both. What's going on with the- and Drew Jackson were the Stanford kids in that team who I was like, oh, okay, we'll get to see Austin Wilson and Drew Jackson. Wilson's a mess. Um, just, it's just bad. I don't know. There's not really a way to describe it that's technical in any way. It's just, it's all, it's not good. He's a huge kid, mm-hmm. but it's, it's bad. Um, so just for now, until, you know, through some act of the player development god, something changes. You know, feel Don't free to remove on him from prospect consciousness. Okay. Drew what was Jack- he, uh, go ahead. Wait, wait, wait. Hey, slow down, bud. Okay. Was he, when he, this is the Mariner system, I should, I should be clear. Yeah. When he was at Stanford, was he more, uh, uh, was he more promise or was he, or was he delivering on that promise? Cause he, he, he again, he does have an impressive physique. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it was a lot of body and natural power scouting. But because of Stanford and the way things are there, people were maybe projecting on things uh, enthusiastically when those – the change – I'm trying not really to – really dancing uh, around something right now. Yeah, I know. Okay, so I was told the story that I didn't know this uh, – while I was at that game actually about Alex Blandino who's also a Stanford kid. Yeah, I saw him the other day. Uh, facing Brandon Woodruff. Oh yeah. Um, Blandino homered during batting practice and they stopped BP to yell at him for it. Uh, so that should give you an idea of what it's like to be a hitter and learn at Stanford. Um, so because of that, there are a lot of guys who come out of Stanford into pro ball who need mechanical changes to tap into their natural talent in some way. So wait, in a, in the parlance of nerddom in a, in in more specifically of stat of statcast data, are they looking only for launch angles of 15 degrees or less? Is that basically it? <laughs> it seems that way. Sta- you've heard the phrase the Stanford swing, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so when I've scouted Stanford, you know, several times now over the last couple of years because they're here. They're out here. So I see them. And everybody in BP is 
the same. It's, you know, it's like the Stepford swing. It's just, you know, bland white bread swings that there's just no explosiveness. It's all, everything is in deference to making contact. And for some of the guys who have come through there, like Michael Taylor and John Mayberry Jr. and Wilson, there's no reason for that. Like let these guys who are big six foot four plus athletes take some hacks. And so when those guys get in the pro ball, if teams want them to have the sort of power output that their bodies are capable of, they have to make changes. And if you're making mechanical changes to something that the kid's been doing for the last three years, there's risk, you know, that you're going to wreck him. And it just, sometimes it happens. And it appears to me at least that that's what's happened with Wilson. You know, to his credit, this may not surprise you. It surprised me a little bit. Uh, John Mayberry Jr. was nearly a league average hitter during his career. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have thought so. I wouldn't have thought so. He, um, I think if you looked at his splits, like he he had a couple years where he just mashed yeah. lefties. He was a first-round pick twice out of high school, too, he was. Okay. Do you remember who the Phillies traded for him to Texas? Ooh. Ooh, to Texas. So, so they traded... They received the Mariners, John Mayberry. The Mariners drafted him out of high school in the first round. He did not sign. Okay. Uh, I think there might be a connection there in that front office from that time to the Phillies front office that eventually traded for him, if that's a clue. Uh, and then he went to Stanford. Pat Gillick. Rangers draft. Yeah, there you are. Is it Pat Gillick? Uh-huh. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, but um, What? Who? Greg, Greg who? Golson. Yeah. Greg Golson? Yeah. Do you remember Greg Golson? Yeah, vaguely. He was tooled up. Is there a lot to remember? Yeah. He's like one of the more explosive tools guys of like the last decade or so. Just no feel for hitting or a lot of baseball things in general. Yeah. Greg Golson. Old Greggy, Greggy Goals. Cup of coffee with the Yankees though for a little while. Yeah, right. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a great. That was it. Oh, hey, before uh, before we end this thing, mercifully, mm-hmm. let's discuss back. briefly. No, it's fine. <laughs> Has, um, let's discuss briefly. Let's discuss Devin Travis. Oh yeah. That's August right. from wrote about today. Yeah. August Fagerstrom wrote about Devin Travis today, highlighting the fact that. Uh, in a number of ways, Devin Travis has been pretty excellent. Uh, certainly with the mm-hmm. bat. Uh, perhaps if you say, well, I don't think he's a true, you know, he's not like a 350 BABIP guy, mm-hmm. uh, you would discount him a little bit. But the projections all say that even if you bring him much, uh, you know, back down to something much closer to league average, he's still going to be a league average hitter, right? Uh, in part because uh, he's, exhi- he's exhibited pretty excellent power now over his first 500 or so plate appearances at second base. He's been, uh, from what the data suggests, he's been an above-average fielder, and he's also been an above-average base runner. Really, anything you could ask of uh, Devin Travis, you know, within his, uh, you know, within his role, mm-hmm. um, he has been competent uh, by that standard. Travis was selected in the 13th round. I don't necessarily know what his bonus was. Maybe you know more about his bonus. He was selected out of Florida State, same Florida State program, of course, that produced Sherman Johnson. Yep. Might have even been teammates at one point. I they believe were. they're best friends. I believe they're actually best friends. 
I believe I'm telling the truth when I say that Devin Travis and Sherman Johnson are either best friends or very good friends. Uh, I um, are you joking about that? Because I actually think that might be true. No, no, I'm I'm telling the truth. Okay. Yeah, I believe Sherman Johnson, Devin Travis are very good friends. And uh, he's done. He you know, he hit a lot in the minor leagues, and he has not really stopped doing that since he reached the major leagues. Right. Give me. Provide for me because August does a good job of painting the most current version of Devin Travis, provi- you know, providing an illustration of his uh, strengths and uh, mm. relatively few weaknesses because that's what's going on. Give me an idea about Devin Travis' uh, baseball prospect, perhaps starting with his time at Florida State. Okay. Three-year starter at Florida State uh, with Sherman Johnson. I think Jace Boyd was also on that team. And I want to say Justin Gonzalez was their shortstop. It was just like a, they had a good infield. Um, 200,000 was the bonus. Just look that up. So we got 200,000 in the 13th round. So above, above slot in the 13th round. Yeah, I don't yeah. think that was 2012 draft. So I don't even know if the current CBA with like, uh, with the, uh, 100,000 cap. I don't even know if that was in place at that point, but yeah, it was a $200,000 bonus. The pre-draft thoughts on him were heavy contact, very little power, second base only, mature body. Scouts liked him, but that's just a hard profile. When the Tigers got him into camp, they made some changes. They lowered his hands at setup, uh, so that he wasn't like hacking down at the baseball, uh, and just hitting a ton of ground balls. They narrowed his, uh, his base instead of setting up, like if you, if you can do it at your desk now, if you're listening to this at work, like stand up and get into like a hitting stance and make your feet real wide, like real far apart. And then try to imagine generating any sort of power in any way that doesn't involve just your hips and your hands. So there was just no lower half involved in his swing at Florida State. Um, and he was his weight transfer like, was limited. Yes. Uh, he didn't so have particularly think, good load. <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, everyone said that he has uh, Devin Travis. He's got subpar load. Well, I want I saw him I saw him in the 2013 Fall League. That was the first time I saw him. And he loaded his hands. He started them almost like smack in the middle of his chest and they, you know, they did go back a little bit, but not there was never really a real deep load there. He was always more about contact even after these changes I've described were made to to give him a little bit more umph. Um there, he was still more contact oriented. So then after his first pro season in the Tigers organization, everyone realized, okay, we screwed up. This guy's good. But I was, he was still arguably a little bit underrated, I think, because there's just more strength in his wrists than, uh, I think that's what you mentioned Joe Panic earlier. I think that's why I missed on him. At least I just did not realize. Through contact, he was just exceptionally strong with his wrists. And it's a hard thing to scout, at least for me, uh, although I've become 
more focused on trying to find it because I do think it's why I've missed on guys before, including Travis, who I don't think I liked very much is just a bat only second baseman, even after that season in Detroit where he sort of exploded as a prospect. Uh, but you know, you, you have to almost interpolate it like, boy, that ball went, that ball went farther than I thought it would. That I wonder if his wrist, cause that, you know, that little flick is so hard to see that, you know, that's the only way I have of trying to start to identify it, at least right now. Uh, so I think there's some of that too with Travis, like through contact, his wrists just explode in a way that is hard to see, uh, but the ball certainly feels it. Uh, so I think that's where, you know, as far as I know, that's all I know about the Devin Travis offensive progression between the draft and where he is now, which is obviously an exceptional hitter. The defensive stuff, I went to see Toronto when they played the Diamondbacks here, uh, and it was just a game, obviously not a great way of evaluating defense at the major league level, but he was just okay. I would probably would have put like a 45 on him. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like he's good now. And so good for the Tigers for identifying him, good for the Blue Jays for trading for him and sticking with him through some of the injuries and stuff. Interesting that, um, now obviously, uh, the, the way they ultimately, uh, parted ways with Travis, which I believe was the trade that sent Anthony Ghost to, to Detroit. Um, that doesn't seem to have worked out particularly well for Detroit, really, in any no. sense at this point. But <clears throat> Detroit, of course, uh, maybe, at least superficially, has earned a reputation for, uh, for not doing a lot in the way of player development because, or maybe they've, they've, they've gained that reputation because they haven't really produced, uh, a lot of players from their minor league system, but, uh, yeah, it's mostly because they've been, way. they've gotten rid of a lot of trades. So the, the, that's not to say that there is no player development occurring. It's always important to, to add, I guess. Uh, but more that, uh, whoever they have developed, they've, uh, ended up succeeding with other teams. If, you know, if that's the case, uh, if that's, you know, if that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. That's fair. have to look at, uh, a list of the guys that Dombrowski dealt away while he was there and, and really sit and be like, okay, this guy's good now, this guy's not, and see what they've, right. But they've sh- shuttled away. Yeah. But yeah. 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 They've got some interesting yeah. arms in the system too, you know, like Porcello came up and they kind of rushed him along a little bit because they had to. And maybe that sort of suppressed what would have ultimately been his ceiling. Uh, cause you know, you come up and you're a big leaguer at a young age when instead of developing your stuff and the way you use it to generate more swings and misses, now you just have to succeed at the big league level with what you have and you have to sort of shelve some of the stuff that would maybe make you a one or two and in deference to just being successful right now. And, uh, you know, before you know it, three years have gone by and you haven't developed the sort of stuff you need to be a high end starter and you're just a four, but you've been a four since age 20 and that's okay too. That's okay too. Yeah. Yeah, that's okay too. I'm just really agreeing with you at this point. Am I rambling? No, no, it's my fault because I'm not very good at this. I'm looking at their, their some of the names in Detroit system now, and they're you know it's just okay. What about Dixon Machado? I like Dixon Machado. Yeah, yeah. he's a he's had the second most walks of any player over the last ten games. Really? A fact which I know. Yeah, I, I only know that because. 
uh, I was looking up Reese Hoskins, mm-hmm. who I believe recently had a five walk game. Um, you know Reese Hoskins, of course, because he plays – well, it could be because you're the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs, but also because uh, he plays for AA, whatever the AA Reading team is, yeah. And as I believe he leads the minor leagues in home runs currently. I think that's correct. Right? It's either him or his teammate. Course, it's one of those two guys. His teammate – his yeah. teammate who? Dylan Cousins. Oh, yeah, Dylan Cousins. That's right. Dylan Cousins is right because we've talked about this before and you you were raising concerns. Yeah. Apropos Cousins, apropos uh, Cousins' very optimistic projection care of uh, Chris Mitchell's new and improved Cato projection system. Cousins uh, well acquitted by that system, number two overall. Is this making any sense to you, Eric? Yeah. I wrote – yeah. You wrote <laughs> – good. Good. I like talking to you. That's good. I like talking to you too. Yeah. I feel like there were some points of this where really, uh, there was an, we were exhibiting increased understanding. I felt, I felt wild. I felt, I felt simultaneously liberated, but within a sort of nice constraint. Do you know what I'm saying? A useful constraint, you know, because yeah. so you, you want to be keen, but you don't want to. You don't want to stomp on stuff that comes naturally. Is the way I would have. No, put it. no, it was working. It was nice. Yeah. yeah, it's it's developing. You know, it's developing. I don't know if anyone's listening, but we're no, we're watching. Either. We're well, it's weird I'm because what it develop. you and I have significant others, mm-hmm. but beyond that, our job involves a lot of sitting quietly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I it does. remember the last time I was at a social function. Uh, and effective just because of the do you, nature do you, of... Do you talk with anyone? You mentioned some people. Christopher Crawford, for example. I, I've yeah, only met I said, him once yeah. in person, but... Uh, and I'm an introvert, to... too. Like, I don't I don't like to introduce myself to people. Yeah. I but, Chris but yeah, seems, I said Chris, Chris. He seems to have... Uh, he seems to be pleasant, from what I know. Yeah, I like Chris a lot. Yeah. That's all. That's all I have to say about that. I've always thought he was pleasant. That's, that's my point. Yeah, that's it. Hey, let's uh, let's get going. But I want to say to you, I want to say thank you, Eric Longenhagen. You're welcome. Okay, that's Eric Longenhagen. He is the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. You always leave a pause after you say your name. Is that am I supposed to say I'm Eric Longenhagen, and then you just give up when I don't? No. <laughs>